0: Welcome to Chasing Hardware, the podcast that sits down with the sports figures you grew up with, and hears their stories. Hi, this is Rich Lamello, and you are listening to Chasing Hardware. My first guest today, my guest today, is uh, Greg Pruitt, the former Oklahoma Sooner, Cleveland Brown, and Los Angeles Raider, currently living in Cleveland. Greg Pruitt, welcome to the show. Welcome to Chasing Hardware.
1: Hey, thank you for having me
0: Sure. Uh, I'm so glad we have a chance to speak. I thought I would tell one quick story uh, that that pertains to Greg before we get going with the interview. Um, I grew up in both Minneapolis and Cleveland and growing up in Cleveland in the 70s and early 80s when Greg was uh, the star running back. uh, And and something that we'll get into a little bit later was his tearaway jerseys. when, Craig, when when Greg was introduced, uh, inducted into the College Football Hall of Fame, I had a chance to chat with him for a few minutes uh, at the hotel, at the reception. And I told he and his wife that uh, we kids growing up in Cleveland would grab our dad's old white T-shirts and stick to them <laughs> to make a little perforation so that we would have our own version of tearaway jerseys in backyard football. I remember I remember your wife kept saying, no way, no way. And I kept saying, trust me, we did it.
1: <laughs> That's that
0: idolized Greg. Um, so anyway, I thought that was kind of a funny story. Um, so Greg, so you grew up in Houston, Texas. Uh I right. went to Elmore High School, not a big high school. And no, but uh, but but had something of a pipeline to Oklahoma, am I correct?
1: Yes. uh, uh one of the uh Lyman coaches, uh, at the time, uh, he was a head coach at West Texas State. Uh, and he and my head coach became real good friends because that was a, a small college, but they recruited my school. We was a small school. And Bill Michaels was his name. My head coach was uh, Wendell Mosley. Okay. So um, I was a quarterback in high school. I wasn't very big, uh probably five, eight by nine, probably weighed 140 hundred and forty forty pounds, probably in my uniform. And uh, but there was a linebacker behind me by the name of Gene Settlers, uh, who everybody in the country was after. And my coach wanted me to go to college. And so at that time there were not, if if it was, not very many. Black quarterbacks uh in division one football. So uh the first change in terms of position for me in my career was then I was switched from the quarterback to a wide receiver my senior year in high school. At the at the time I did not like the change. I didn't nobody told me why. It was back during that time coach say jump, you say hi hi. Exactly. It, it wasn't you didn't ask no questions. But So I didn't like it, but I did, and uh, I did not know, but Coach Mosley and Coach Michaels, who got the, the lineman coaching job at Oklahoma, he had been there one year, and he had recruited from my school, so he kept coming through my high school recruiting guys at Oklahoma, even though he was not going to Oklahoma. One of the things that I had going for me was there were three guys that were ahead of me that had gone to Oklahoma and they had did well. So they knew that the guys from my school played well enough to play at Oklahoma. Those guys actually went to Oklahoma and started. So the deal was if Oklahoma would give me a shot, I would have to first change positions, go from wide receiver, from a quarterback to wide receiver. And that uh, Gene Settlers most likely would go to Oklahoma because that was a relationship my coach had with all of his players, right, so I go to Oklahoma, and of course gene sellers go to u c l a okay, and I play at Oklahoma, and at the time when I played, you could not play on on the varsity. you had to play a freshman' schedule, sure. So we played we had a four game schedule, and other than those four games, we were basically uh the scout team for the varsity sure so my i so I ended up leading the uh the team in receptions at that position, and so my sophomore year uh I go up and I end up playing I'm the starting wide receiver, and we run the beer so I'm not sure. I don't remember about what game it was, but somewhere in into the season, we switched from the veer to the wish ball. Right. So but the quarterback was Jack Mildred. Jack Mildred was a hell of a running quarterback, but he was not top of the list in terms of throwing accuracy. Right. But they figured he was perfect. and And to this day, of all the... Great quarterbacks that have come through Oklahoma running the the wishbone, I have choose Jack Mildren as the best because he was tough. We called timeouts just for he to get his head together. He always had the ball in the right spot, and he was a tough runner as a quarterback. And the, mo- the most important thing about the wishbone is you got to put the ball in the right spot. The first read is to the fullback. If it's a hole, you leave it with him. If it's not, you take it out. You go to the corner. If the defensive end have you contained, the quarterback keeps it. If he goes for the quarterback, he flips it out. Now, we took this offense from University of Texas. Texas was running it, and the University of Alabama was running it. But what Coach Switzer did, who is a brilliant coach, very smart, I tell people if you take a piece of paper and you write X's and O's and you put down a 4-3 defense, which is what most people ran back then, and you put down the wish ball, you pretty much can easily defend the wish ball. But the O's are not moving. So what Coach Switzer did was most of the teams, Alabama and University of Texas, Their running backs were not real fast. So they were getting four and five yards, sometimes eight and nine yards per pitch, where Oklahoma changed those positions from four, five, four, six to four, fours and four, threes. And now all of a sudden the 10 yards became 20. It became 50. It became 80 yard runs for touchdowns. So we rewrote basically the NCAA book in terms of, what we average? We average over five hundred yards a game. It's amazing. Offense.
0: Yeah, and that's and so, that, those Oklahoma teams real fast. Chuck Fairbanks was your head coach, but the assistant right. coaches on that team included Barry Switzer, like you said, Jimmy Johnson,
1: and all went one all be NFL coaches. Yes, yeah, Gail right.
0: Hall, who ended up at Florida. I mean, that's that's right. Switzer and Johnson are two of only three guys to have won a national college championship and a Super Bowl. Right. Uh, that's, that's an amazing staff you guys had.
1: So, so let me, let me uh, rewind just a, just a little bit. So I worked real, real hard. I was so happy coming out of my neighborhood. You know, everybody knew me and the other guys. I'm going to Oklahoma. We're doing well, and I look forward to my sophomore season. We play those three games. I'm starting. We switch offense to the wishbone. Well, the one key thing. With the wishbone, when you change from the veer to the wishbone, is you eliminate one of the receivers because you add a back to the backfield. Right. So they decided to eliminate me as a receiver, starting receiver, and make me a backup running back. And I just was devastated. I, I, I tell people all the time, I really planned on – Quitting uh, being young, I called around the state of Oklahoma to some of the other schools, trying to leave Oklahoma to go there to play because I, I felt like I was a starter. I, I was not a backup. I worked hard to get that position, and so they were just taking it away from me. So what I did't know is that Oklahoma was so powerful in the state of Oklahoma, none of the schools would touch me without getting the permission from Oklahoma to even talk to me <laughs> so while I was sneaking. Out trying to find places to play, Oklahoma knew about it. And Coach Fairbanks called me in one day and asked me, "Was I happy there?" I said, "Yeah, I'm happy." He said, "You sure you happy?" I said, "Yeah, I'm happy." He said, "Well, I keep getting all of these calls from all these coaches stating you're trying to play football for them next year." And I said, "Well, I was I was a disappointed time, but I changed my mind." I, I said, "I'm gonna have, I'm gonna be here." But I really was lying to him because I had realized at that point, if I was going to go somewhere else, it couldn't be in the state of Oklahoma. I had to go somewhere else. Right. So, so now my biggest obstacle was my mom. I had to get permission from my mom to do what I was planning on doing. So my mom is a beautician. My, My mom and my dad. They divorced when I was like nine. My mom really became mom and pops, and so we ran everything past her. Right. So my mom is a beautician, and I knew on Saturdays was her busiest days. Most of her customers were working women, and their day off was on Saturday. And her t- her hours were to complement their working hours, so if she could start at five thirty in the morning and do her all the way to twelve and one o'clock in the morning. So. I waited for Saturday. I called my mom, thinking that I could get this past her because she was so busy, and it didn't work. She said, "Okay, you first of all, you calling me on Saturday? What's what's the problem?" So I gave her this spiel about she knew how hard I had worked uh, to get the whole to Oklahoma and play and be a starter, and now they're just taking my job away from me. And I'm going to, I'm just, I'm not going to stay here. I'm, I'm coming home. I'm I, I'm coming home. And so my mom is kind of a holler. When you say something real crazy to her, she yells at you. <laughs> and uh, so when I told her that, I kind of took the phone away, waiting for her to yell. I didn't hear nothing. So I put the phone back. I said, did you hear what I said? And so she ignored me my comment and started giving me a telephone number. It was a Houston number, 713. You died. Write this number down. I said, oh, no, no. I said okay, who, whose number is that? She said, that's your uncle's number, which is her, her brother. I said, oh, he going to come get me? She said, I don't know. Call him and see if he'll come and get you. I said, okay. She said, well, hold on. She said, now, if he agrees to come and get you, make sure you ask him if you can, you can live with him. I said, live with him. Why would I want to live with him? She said, I didn't raise no quitters. You quit, you got to go stay with your uncle. Right. And so I boohooed and she said, now, you know, you can control what you control. My mom very religious. You know, God got a plan for you. You control what you can control and God will take care of the rest. And it was almost like magic. I cried that night. I went out to practice. I went back to trying to be a good football player. Two weeks later, we played uh Iowa State. Iowa State hadn't beat Oklahoma, and I don't know if they had ever beat Iowa State. But Iowa State had Oklahoma down by two touchdowns, and this was like a news flash. This was bought all over the country that this was gonna be the biggest upset in college football. The guy in front of me name was Everett Marshall. Everett Marshall ran a uh uh pitch to the right and the the cornerback hit him he was a guy that couldn't cut he couldn't make moves he's real fast but he didn't make a lot of moves and they hit him and and our state had a track around the football field and they knocked him out on the track and it hurt his knee so as a result i got an opportunity to play so now they were totally unprepared for me and i had probably the biggest game that I had had in college. And we ended up tying the game. Well, we ended up with a field goal at the end of the game with ties. But even a tie with Iowa State would almost be as bad as a loss to Oklahoma. So Oklahoma decided to go for two, and we upset Iowa. The next week we played Missouri, and then my whole career changed. Uh, He was out, and I was in. And I had a great – I think we ended up going to the Blue Bunny Bowl against Alabama, and I was MVP of the Blue Bunny Bowl. So that's really how my career started at Oklahoma.
0: That's amazing. And, and that Oklahoma, the, the the lineage of running backs – I mean, going back, Tommy McDonald, Billy Vessels. Oh, yeah. When you got there, Steve Owens was winning a Heisman. Obviously, right. he came in. Then Joe Washington, Billy Sims, Marcus Sims. Free, Adrian Peters. I mean, the list is just on, and on and
1: on and on. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And that doesn't even count guys like Kenny King who you played with on the Raiders. Right. It's just amazing. Right. Um and and uh your junior year you finished third in the Heisman. The guy who wins it's Pat Sullivan at Auburn right. and you beat them pretty soundly in the it was the Sugar Bowl, right?
1: Yeah, we beat the heck out of them. My you know my team they did, they like me thought I should have won the Heisman. They had a bone to pick, you know, God gave us an opportunity to play Auburn and show the world who, who were the better team. Right. And uh, I had a, I had a great game too.
0: That's awesome. And then, and then the next year you're involved, you're runner up for the Heisman to Johnny Rogers, arch right. tribal Nebraska, you guys faced right. off in, in what was at the time called the game, well, still called game of the century, uh, right. which was just one of those, you know, kind of seminal games in uh, college football history. Uh, unfortunately for the Sooner nation, you guys came out on the short end, right?
1: Yeah, and I uh, in that game, I, the, I think the mistake that Oklahoma made was they gave Nebraska too much respect on the defensive side of the ball. Okay. And we ran the football. We didn't care that you knew we ran the football. We didn't think you can stop us running the football. And from a player's attitude and mentality, that's how most of the players thought. Oklahoma kind of got cute and we threw the football in that game more than we had thrown the football the whole game. I had uh, five carries for 60 yards. That's the That wasn't enough carries. I think if I had, we had played our game like we played everybody else, we would have beat Nebraska. But I'll tell you a true story in that uh, Johnny Rogers and I uh, have become very good friends. We're very good friends. to this day, sure. Johnny Johnny created a an award called the Jet Award, and it goes to the best high school, the best college, the best pro, uh, current pro, and retired pro in returns. Okay. And so he has a big thing in Omaha. People come from everywhere. They raise a lot of money, and they they give money uh to underprivileged kids to become to a culinary school to become chefs very successful thing so johnny i was talking and he told me about the award and invited me to come out uh to support it and so i did now when i got there and i I, i'm 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 saying this to you coach you can probably if you google rich jet award johnny rogers there's a trophy going to come up, and the trophy is really a unique-looking trophy. And when I got to Omaha, he didn't tell me anything. I saw this trophy, and I said, man, that's a nice trophy. And then I walked up on it, and I looked at it, and it was a guy making a move, or a defender. The defender was fake, and he was kind of like on the ground. And I looked closer, and the helmet says Oklahoma. It's an OU helmet. I said, oh, you helmet!" me. Then I look at the jersey number, and it's a 30. Oh, no. The trophy is me. <laughs> the guy returned the ball is Johnny Rogers. <laughs> He's twice my size. <laughs> Rich, you, you, you can't appreciate this until you see the – you got to pull it up and look at it. Okay. If I, I had help. seen that trophy before I went out there, I probably wouldn't have went. you didn't have to <laughs> change that. But <laughs> – But that's Johnny. You have to know Johnny. But so I tell people all the time, everybody makes mistakes. The key thing is, you do you learn from your mistakes? I said that was a changing uh, point in my career. During the week prior to playing Nebraska, special teams, we practiced covering the kick return, and particularly against Johnny Rogers. Nobody go out to Johnny. Keep your lanes, be disciplined, and we'll minimize his returns. Well, right. Johnny and I talked crap to each other of the, during the whole whole year, and up to that game during the week, we were talking on the phone. And I'm telling them what I'm gonna do to him, and and what they might they might as well get ready for a loss. So I ain't listening to the coaches. <laughs> So the first uh, – I don't know if it was the first punt, but th- that punt return was the difference in the game. That's how they beat. I think they beat us thirty-three, thirty-one, 31 something like that, 35, 33. It wasn't, It wasn't much, but Johnny returned the punt. That was a, two clips on it that they missed, but at the same time, it never should have got to that point because I went after him and I grabbed him just enough to make him miss a guy and he returned the punt for a touchdown. I tell people oh, that that changed my life. That probably won the Heisman for him. And uh, I said, "But I said, what I did was take my mistake, and I went on to to pro football as a kick return and punt return. And every time somebody made the same mistake I made on Johnny, I made them pay the same way Johnny made me pay.
0: Learned from your mistake. Nice. I
1: learned from my mistake."
0: And, uh, and, and by the way, uh, we were talking about the shifty moves of a punt returner and a kick returner in addition to right. a quarterback and a running back and a receiver. Uh, just going back to your growing up in Texas, did I read correctly? Your mom, like you said, had a beauty parlor, wanted you uh-huh. to stay close by, so you, when you guys played football out in the street, it was in front yeah. of a beauty parlor on a tight street. So you couldn't, right. you couldn't score unless you could make quick moves. And that's right. how you develop your game.
1: Definitely. I mean, I, we didn't have a, a park, so we played in the street. Or oh, sometimes we found a vacant lot, which wasn't very big. If they would run us off the streets, but my mom let us play well into the night till she got through because she felt safe that a bunch of kids was out in front playing playing football.
0: Sure.
1: Now, so I, I say this about uh. The first time I saw a football field, my first comment was, "We I mean we 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 can run all the way over there, and then run all the way down there, and we still inbound." <laughs> and they say, "Yeah, you know. <laughs> this is gonna be easy." Awesome. But <laughs> but you know, from from day one, when uh, playing sandline football, the first time I went out. It was, you know, it wasn't a lot of guys. It was like maybe three guys, five guys, ten guys total, or whatever. We'd pick sides, and so the first time I went out, like I say, I wasn't very smart. They would pick guys on their team, and it was an odd number. I was the odd guy, and so somebody wasn't going to play. So they 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 would overlook me and pick somebody else, and so I'd be disappointed. But I would stay and I would watch them play, and I and I noticed one thing particularly was that. Uh, and I'm learning football too. That the guy with the ball, they call him the quarterback. Everybody wanted to play that position, and the guy he throw it to—that's called a receiver. Guys like that position too. And sometimes he handed to a guy who was a running back. They like that position, but nobody liked to stand on the line and block. <laughs> so the next time we played, a odd number came. I knew either I had to get on. Or I wasn't going to play if they didn't choose me. So I volunteered. I said, listen, I will, if you let me play, I will play center on for both teams. I snapped the ball when you got it, and I snapped the ball when you get it. They went for that because the other guys didn't want to play position. So they allowed me to play. I was just trying to get my hands on the ball. Right. And I tell people, they say, who, who touches the ball first? Most people say the quarterback. I say, no, the center touches the ball first. So I would fake snap and take off running. And they it gave me an opportunity to show them how elusive I was. And so then I started being chosen to play on on those two different teams. You but, you know, level. you got you to gotta think outside the box sometimes.
0: I love it. I love it. And then, and speaking of that speed and that elusiveness, when you were at Oklahoma, it was uh, when when Barry Switzer was still an assistant coach. He's the one who gave you the uh, hello goodbye T-shirt.
1: Yeah, we were playing uh, uh, USC. USC was number one in the nation, both offense and defensively. And uh, I was it was during the week, and it was I was on my way to class, and somebody stopped me and told me Coach Switzer wanted to see me. So my first thought was, what did I do? I'm in trouble. I don't remember <laughs> doing nothing. And I said, okay, all right. I'll see him when I get out of class. He said, no, no, no. He want to see you right now. So now I'm really thinking I and done, done something. How can I not remember something so urgent that he needs to see me now? So I go to his office, and he shows me this T-shirt that has uh, Hello, Goodbye on it. And he said, Greg, I wanted to... Uh, somebody made this, and I thought this really looked nice, and I I think I want you to wear this. I said, okay. So I, I grabbed the shirt, and I got ready to walk out. He said, no, 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 no. I want you to put it on and wear it to class. I said, okay. So I put it on. And uh, this uh, TV remote was sit- sitting on campus corner waiting on me. So they interviewed me. Switzerland supposed to set all this up. <laughs> and he, know, I, 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 I'm not shy. I will talk. And he told me about the upcoming game and tell me about this shirt. And I, yeah, well, you know, it's hello, goodbye. It's kind of self-explanatory. And when I got to practice that evening, Coach Switzer called everybody up and told everybody what he had did, showed him the t-shirt he gave me. And then he told me it better be hello goodbye because it's three hours early. No, it was two hours earlier in in uh, California, and I'm sure by nine they real pissed at you, Greg. <laughs> and so, and so he set me up. So anyway, we 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 upset them, and I have a big game. I think I rushed for 214 yards, and that kind of put me on the map.
0: So Coach Switzer knew what he was doing. He was pushing- he knew
1: what he was doing. yep.
0: Pretty funny. And then from Oklahoma, you get drafted by the Cleveland Browns. Now, ironically, right. your your head coach at Oklahoma, Chuck Fairbanks, has now gone to the Patriots. Doesn't pick yeah. you. But the right. Browns do pick you.
1: Right. Well, I tell you, I was a journalism major, so I had access to what was going on over the wire. And uh, I knew the season, the career that I had had at Oklahoma – I was the first round pick. I just knew this. So I was, I had already set up a, a location for a, a party to, to, to celebrate once it was official and the first round came and it went and my name hadn't been called and I, so I panicked and I had just started playing golf and coach Fairbanks was the one that introduced me. To golf. Let me let me back up just a little bit. My junior year, uh, my popularity in football and golf started to become very popular. And people were using golf for charitable events mm-hmm. and I would get letters to participate in these uh, events, but I didn't play golf. I, not only did I not play golf, I didn't know how you played golf. I didn't know where you played golf. I didn't know what you played golf with. Right. So I ignored the letters. Well, Coach Fairbanks was a scratch golfer. Mm And so they went to him to see if he could get me to come. And he was always a stickler on, hey, if you don't play, fine. It ain't the end of the world. But if people take the time to write to you to get your help for something that's charitable, you can at least respond if you don't play golf, maybe it's something else you can do. So I, I, I was going to get that lesson, lesson, that lecture from him. So I went to uh, Dave Robinson, was a quarterback at Oklahoma. I knew he played golf. I went and explained to him that coach was coming to talk to me and what had happened. And he told me, he said, I don't have time to explain it to you, Greg. He had a midterm. He said, but if coach coming in, and he looks like he's upset and he starts screaming at you. You tell him you play left-handed. I say, what does that mean? He said, tell him you play golf left-handed. And don't say nothing else but that. So Coach came to my door, knocked on my door, I opened the door, and he got on me about this, and I just said, right in the middle, I cut him off, I play (laughs) left-handed. And he kind of like stopped. And if he had asked me to explain, I couldn't even explain. That's how much I knew about golf. (laughs) And he kind of turned around, kind of mumbling to himself, he played golf. I thought he was right in, and he walked out. <laughs> so I said, man, I don't know what kind of answer that was, but it was a great answer. <laughs> so I'm thinking, I'm in the clear. The next day, I opened my uh, dorm door, and a left-handed set of clubs was sitting there. <laughs> and, a, and a note with directions to this golf tournament, and big, bold writing, don't be late. So I went and played, I probably shot about 300 that day. I could never get the ball off the ground, but I'm competitive. It beat me up so bad, I was determined. I I couldn't stop that. And so I tell people, I say, I'm still playing golf to this day. I went from hating it to loving it. I got to play golf. Somebody called me. I had forgot with this interview, but I forgot yesterday to go play golf today. So I'll play golf tomorrow. But uh, it's it's a great game. Are you a lefty Uh, or a righty? No, I'm I'm right-handed, but I play golf left-handed. So for a long time, I played left-handed and putt it (laughs) right-handed.
0: That's amazing. All from that initial incident. That is really cool. (laughs) Right. Yeah. That's funny. So then then you get drafted to the Browns. Right. Nick Scorich is the coach. They had speaking of lineages of running backs: Marion Motley, Jim Brown, uh, Bobby Mitchell, Leroy Kelly, and you come in. And Leroy Kelly's still there, but he's kind of winding down his career. And you come in, and um, and you play for Nick Scorch and then Forrest Gregg. What what were those Browns teams like?
1: Well, let me let me go back to being drafted. I. I said I knew I was going to be a first round pick in my mind, mm-hmm. yeah. especially, uh, especially Coach Fairbanks was now going to become a head coach in the National Football League with three first round draft picks, and at a team that it was it was rumored that they were looking for a running back, so I just knew I was I was going to New England, sure, and so when the draft came and went. Uh, well, uh, the first round came and went I wasn't drafted so again I went. I found out one important thing about golf is that it's played on a place and on the back nine it's pretty much isolated it's a great place to hide right. so, so I went out and played up the back nine and a reporter came found me and told me I had just been drafted by the Cleveland Browns and I was just so relieved. Oh, I was ha- very happy, but I was disappointed that it was not coach Fairbanks. Cause I thought the only thing that would keep me out of the first round would be people having questions about my size, but sure. the question about my size was certainly answered. Uh, answered to coach Fairbanks. He saw me for four years. He right. knew if I was big enough to play. And then when it didn't happen, I was very disappointed with him. And, uh, so the browse after the draft invite the draftees up for a press day in Cleveland and back during that time, it was, you could only get to Oklahoma through St. Louis on TWA.
0: Sure.
1: And so I came up and they, they gave me, <laughs> until I think I weighed a hundred, uh, at 77 pounds, a uh, little under five ten, five nine, or whatever. But I would never tell you uh, I was five nine. I'm five ten. <laughs> I put a weight. They made us strip down, put a towel around us. I put a towel around my, myself with a five pound weight tied with a sh- with a shoelace, and I weighed 177 pounds. <laughs> so. So again it's it's starting all over. I was not, I found later, I was not the uh coach the Nick Scorage's choice as a, a draft pick. I was uh Art Modell's pick. He had followed me in college and he he stepped in and told them to draft me at that position. Mm-hmm. So I was I was the third pick for the Browns. They had two first round picks one was Steve Holland and one was Pete Adams. Okay. And so those guys did okay, but they kind of fizzled. And uh, I the best thing happened to me was was Leroy Kelly. I I, I was I was I, I did not lack any confidence in myself. I I it wasn't nothing I didn't think I couldn't do. And it's play football. When I met Leroy Kelly, this is the great Leroy Kelly. This is and at the time, I didn't know he was going in the Hall of Fame. This just tells you how good he was and how I just looked right past that. When I saw him, the first thing I was doing was sizing up how much taller he was of me. And, you know, he, he's 5'11", uh, maybe maybe six feet, but I doubt it. And he wasn't faster than me. So in my mind, I said, hey, yeah. I, I gave him three weeks I have his job. So we go to we go to we go to uh, camp, and we play our first preseason game. And man, I'm I'm so excited about playing, but now I'm nervous. And now I'm put off this, you know, my 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 talking about myself, all this confidence is. They just know I'm gonna be great, but now I'm having some doubts. I'm not I'm gonna be good, but this game is coming too soon. Uh, I ain't ready. Right. We played the Los Angeles Ra- the Los Angeles Rams. And I'm on. I'm the special team captain, and we go out, flip the coin. We win. We win the toss. And I remember, oh man, we won the toss. I ain't ready. I wish we had lost the toss. So I go to the sideline, and uh, the special team coach comes up, and uh, I'm, I'm hoping that he calls left return because if he do left return, then the other guy is going to get the ball. And he says, right return. Oh, God. I, I said, I ain't ready. I ain't ready. I ain't ready. So I end up going to my side. They kick the ball. I'm hoping to kick the ball to him. They kick it to me. And when I get the ball, I go left. And, man, I look down the middle. looked like it was a hole big enough for three trains to go through. And I stepped in, and a guy hit me. He hit me so hard, you could hear the crowd say, Ooh, like that. So, so, so when I get up, the thing that really freaked me out was when I got up, he he put his hand out and, and helped me and say, welcome to the NFL, rookie. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I go to the sideline One is that how it's going to be? But uh, things fell down, and I stopped being so much on myself and started paying attention. And I learned quite a bit from Leroy, uh, uh, we, we in practice or in games and preseason, they put a rookie with a veteran and Leroy was so smooth. He glided and he made it look easier than it was, but then he had a lot of little things from, as as a result of his experience on keys to look at little things that you would, I would never learn, uh, in my first year, maybe doing the course of my career but uh example would be when uh, most defenses were four threes and so that that meant you had a middle linebacker that stood off the ball over the center and both of your uh guards were covered with uh defensive linemen and one of the pet peeves for cleveland was 22 trap and when you run 22 trap you let uh of 21 on 22 you let the tackle come up in the the, the uh, opposite guard traps him, and the back runs right behind him. Uh, Twenty-two or twenty-one trap. But what I didn't know, and this has come from experience with uh, Leroy, we played uh, Kansas City. Uh, the Kansas City Chiefs was the first time, and I'm trying to I'm trying to remember. He's a Hall of Famer from Kansas City. Played in the middle. I Lee, should never I, hi blue Lanier. Willie Lanier, I should know. I used to have nightmares about Willie Lanier. I don't know how I can't remember his name. <laughs> but we play the Kansas City Chiefs. Leroy is nursing an uh, ankle injury, but he starts. And so, I had been fussing with Nick Scorage about playing me because he kept saying I wasn't big enough to play. wasn't big enough to play. And the problem I had with Nick Nick was about five five. So I'm five ten, but he looking up at me. And I just how you look up at me and tell me I'm not big enough. <laughs> and so we play Kansas City. Leroy gets hurt, and I go in the game. And I remember them talking about Willie. You can't do this. You can't do that. Willie the near. Willie the near. Willie the So I get in the huddle, and they call twenty-two trap. That's where Willie the near is standing. I want to run away from Willie the near. I don't want to run at him. <laughs> what and, you <laughs> Well. I started trying, in my mind, trying to I'm trying to go over everything they said in the in the, in the, in the meetings about Willie Lanier. So this bright idea, my light goes off. I'm running 22-trap, Willie Lanier is sitting there, and they say one of the things that Willie Lanier do well is he will read any key that you give him. So my mind says, why don't I give him a fake key? So I'm in a three-point stand, and I peep up at Willie Lanier, and he's looking at me. I start to lean to my left to make him think I'm going left when I'm really going right. And then I peep up at him again, and he shakes his head. No, that won't work. (laughs) 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 So they give me the ball, and I get – he tackles me for like a three-yard loss. He hits me in the backfield. So I get up. And we punt the ball and I go to the sideline and Leroy comes over and tells me, he say, rookie, you don't pay attention. He said, we talked about 22 and 21 trap. We talked about if that's a, that linebacker is a veteran and a great player or that tackle, they're not going to be trapped. They're going to fight the trap. And when they fight the trap, the whole moves from 22 to 21. It's called backdoor. So they called the play again. He said, "Trust me, he's gonna do the same thing. He's gonna create a hole." I went, I don't know, sixty-five yards for a touchdown on the on the very next time I ran that play, and it was all about knowledge, just finding the, the soft spots.
0: I, I saw, I saw that uh, Leroy Kelly told you you were complaining that you couldn't see around one of your guards. And he said, if Oh you-
1: yeah, yeah. Right, right. He said, if you can't, if, if you can't see them, they can't see you. Yeah. <laughs> so position yourself for them to put themselves out of position.
0: Yeah. That's just a veteran, you know, veteran. Piece
1: guess, of- yeah. It, it, it's it's so simple. It's, it, it hurts. <laughs> <laughs> okay.
0: So then, so then you become, the guy, and you have a number right. of yard years in a row. Um, and the team is doing fine, but not great. And in comes mm-hmm. Sam Ratigliano, who seems right. to appreciate everything you can do running it, catching
1: right.
0: it, throwing right. it. Uh, a lot of people don't know you threw six touchdowns in your career. Um, and
1: I was actually a quarterback in high school, and I was the reserve quarterback, uh, for the uh. And Oklahoma, but in case they went through, you know, I practiced that position in case we they would ever need me, but sure. they, Jack Mildred was too tough. <laughs> they never needed me, yeah. Right.
0: So, Retigliano comes in, and now the team's got Sip at quarterback. You're at running back. Uh, they, they start to bring in guys like Lyle Alzado, Joe Deloitte. Right. You know, it's partly built through the draft, partly built through trades. Tell me about that kind of transition and all of a sudden those years leading up to the Cardiac Kids.
1: Well, like I say, if it would have been reversed, if I had gotten Retigliano a couple of years uh, sooner, uh, maybe my, my career would be different. Uh, but he did. He was the first guy. You know, Forrest Greg gave me the first start at running back. You know, he called me during all season. He say, you know, I hear you it's the the problems you've had in trying to convince people that you're big enough to play. He said, well come in my camp in shape because I'm on I'm gonna find out if you're big enough to play. But I don't think Forrest uh went beyond running the ball. You know, Green Bay, student body right, student body left, and that's Basically, what he did offensively in the past complemented the running game. But right. so he didn't throw the ball to me. He didn't realize that I could catch the ball as well as I could catch the ball. Retigliano on the other hand, did. Unfortunately for me, I got hurt uh, with Retigliano. And then I was one of those guys that need a lot of carries to get a lot of things done. So they went into this. To try in an effort to keep me healthy, they started uh, substituting guys and they started throwing the ball to me re- versus giving the ball to me out of the backfield, which hurt my stats as a rusher. Sure, and uh and but I know from a team from a team standpoint, it wasn't something to hold me back, but it was just uh, it, common sense. Just because they throw you the ball, don't mean they don't hit you just as hard. <laughs> so I didn't understand me not getting the carries I needed and sometimes as a as a running back you can feel the pulse of a defense you know the intensity the impact of tackles and as you wear them down that changes and you can feel it's time now to pour it on and get the yards that sure. you you set up for yourself but I I never got, was put in that position because I never got a lot of carries in a game but for me, I did get what I got uh, on the carries that I had. But, you know, uh, you can complain. A lot of people will. But, you know, I got a chance to play nine years. If I, Would I like for some things to change? uh, Yeah, I would I would have liked for some things to change. You know, I didn't come in as a first-round pick as a running back starting from day one. I had to wait my turn then I, I i i get hurt and they they decide to go in a different direction with brian site and i end up going to uh the raiders and when i go to the raiders uh of course there's a rookie there named marcus allen right. and and i say well marcus i taught him everything i knew i i did for marcus what leroy did for me although he didn't need a whole lot he was a great runner but there were some things that he he needed to know that helped him as a runner so It's a team thing, but I I didn't get a lot of carries. When you look at my carries in the first three years and the last three years, it's not very many, and that hurt me from a rushing standpoint, a statistical.
0: Yeah, it's like it's like it's almost like your career was like different pockets. At certain times, thousand yard rusher. Then you were the guy who caught all the balls out of the backfield. With you were a Pro Bowl player at the end of your career as a kick returner.
1: As a kick returner, so I really think one of the things I regret is that I didn't at least do either kickoff returns or punt returns. Even after I started, you I mean- would have
0: liked
1: to. I would have liked to have kept returning punts and kickoffs.
0: Sure, you mean
1: in your Cleveland days? In my Cleveland days,
0: yeah. Um, that's and, and so that Raiders team. You're on the 1983 Super Bowl champ Raiders, which is. Right amazing like a what a what an amazing group of players you have Jim Plunkett who who would have been your teammate if you had been drafted by Chuck Fairbanks with the Patriots exactly right right Um, so he comes he comes uh he gets um he gets thrown into the starting position when Pastorini breaks his leg and I think a lot of people didn't even know Jim Plunkett was in Oakland And all of a sudden, he goes on and wins two Super Bowls in the span of four years. Um, And obviously, young Marcus Allen is there. Lyle Alzado is there. A young Howie Long is there. Tell me about some of the personalities on that team.
1: Lyle Alzado, myself, and Don Good were traded to the Raiders. Right. And so uh, the first day we reported to the Raiders, the Raiders have a ceremony because they always brought veterans in from other teams so they introduced some of the other guys from the other teams and then when they got to us the Raiders stood up and gave us a standing ovation and so Lyle is standing next to me and he leans back and whispers in my ear he said Pooh, you think they think we can still play <laughs> so, so somebody heard him and said no nah, because of you guys we got these they start pointing at their Super Bowl rings it was it was the Browns, the red-right 88, that the Raiders went on to win a Super Bowl. They were the first <laughs> wild-card team to do that.
0: In 1980, a so, kid's team. Yeah. yeah. Tough one.
1: So, anyway, so, but Lyle was a character. I'm telling you, Lyle was not the bad, mean, tough guy that he portrayed. He was really a, a good guy. But that was a character what he played. I, I remember playing the New York Jets. You may remember the game where Lyle threw the helmet at the offensive lineman and got thrown out of the game. Yep, I do. Okay. Now Lyle gets thrown out of the game. And he comes over to the bench and he's sitting on the bench. Now we're playing at home in the Coliseum. And they have a uh uh they had a golf cart with a flatbed on it with a tripod. And guys, that's how they film. They they so you you knew when you was about to be on TV. Right. So this cart is coming. Guys is running with it and Lyle looks up and he sees them. And the closer they get, the more violent La gets. He starts throwing Gatorade, he starts kicking his helmet, he kicked the bench over. And then they do their little film and they go on, and then he sits down. <laughs> so I ease over to him. I said, Damn, lie, you all right? He said, "Pro, let, let me get this straight. This is a national televised game, ain't it? I said, Yeah. He said, Man, I ain't getting my ass kicked on no national TV. I had to throw the hell, but that was self defense. <laughs> <laughs> So so, so. anyway, they, th- they throw Lyle out and they find him. So the next day, all the old guys uh, show up for practice early because we're all in the whirlpool. We're trying to get ready for next Sunday's game. And I'm reading the paper. I'm in the whirlpool, and I'm reading the paper about the incident that just happened the, the day before. Yep. And in the interview, they're interviewing Lyle, and the guy asked, if the fine was justified and did he think that it would uh deter him from doing something like that again. And Lyle says, no, I wasn't wrong. And he said, I can't wait uh to the next game. He said we up we're gonna play the and the reason they was interviewing we we end up playing the Jets the next week in the playoffs. So this is a game where we're gonna end up playing again, playing the same guys again. So Lyle said he couldn't wait for the game. He wished the game was today. He said, hey, he can have his mama play for him. He can have his daddy play for him. I'm getting him back. And I'm saying, dang, Lyle is, is upset. <laughs> so you have to imagine this. I'm in the whirlpool reading this paper. I just read what I just told you. And then I look up, and Lyle is standing in the, in the trainer's door. He can't hardly move. He's so sore. And I say, Lyle. I'm just reading. You said you wish the game was tomorrow. You can't wait till tomorrow. I say, man, you, are you sure about that? He said, well, Prue, I was feeling a whole lot better than I'm feeling now when I made that statement. But that's the kind of guy I was. <laughs> <laughs> that's
0: amazing. T- tell me about so that. eighty. So that was 82, that, that Jet playoff game. And then mm-hmm. 83, you guys just have a a great run through the playoffs and you destroy the Redskins in the Super Bowl. Tell me about that feeling. You've been playing football your whole life. You know you're towards the end of your career. I think you had one more year after that. And there you are winning a Super Bowl uh, against the Redskins. Tell me what that feeling was like.
1: Well, you know, I think we went to the Super Bowl as underdogs to the Redskins because we lost to the Redskins in the regular season.
0: In a great game, right?
1: And a great game. I mean, we went. I had a 98-yard punt return. Cliff Branch had a 99-yard bomb. And 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 a well. Let me let me back up and tell you. I went to school with Joe Washington.
0: Sure.
1: Joe Washington was a running back for the Washington Redskins. I know Joe. He is very dangerous. Always have been very dangerous. I do not underestimate Joe Washington's size. Sure. Because if you do, you're just asking for trouble. You pay for it. So I came to Cleveland. We ran a halfback option. I don't think it was anybody better at running that option than I was. So we getting ready to play the Redskins. And I'm trying to remember the uh, outside linebacker for us. Uh I can't say his name.
0: Uh, You were with the Raiders?
1: With the Raiders, right. Outside linebacker. Rod Uh, Rod Martin, Rod Martin. And uh, so I tell Rod at practice, I say, Rod, listen, if you want to, after practice, I'll be glad to run the option for you so you have some idea of what Joe is going to do. I say, because I'm telling you, The only way, the only chance you have of stopping him is you know what he's thinking. I can tell you the concept of the option. I'm going to get a wide release on you as a linebacker. If you're outside of me, I'm going to make a move and go inside. If you're inside of me, I'm going to make a move inside and go outside. If you bump me, I'm going to run a fade. I say, so we can work on that so you can position yourself to set him up to give yourself a chance to break this play up. He breaks me up. Right. Uh, you need to go talk to Joe Washington. Rob Martin, fine. I ain't scared of Joe Washington. So, <laughs> oh, okay. So we get in that game. You know what I'm saying? We were like three three touchdowns up. Uh, then we went to two touchdowns up and without a lot of time left. And they started running that name option on us with Joe Washington. And they came back with the little luck of getting the own side kick, and they beat us.
0: Unbelievable! That so, was the season game. That was like mid-season. That
1: was the season game. So going into the Super Bowl, now we they Joe got their attention. Now Rob Martin and the defense they now consulted me about how does this option work. <laughs> So, if you remember in the game, just before halftime, Jack Squirek intercepted a pass for a touchdown.
0: Sure. It was
1: close to the end zone. The Washington Redskins was trying to run the option. What, they, what we knew, and I told them, if you cover up the guard, the back now knows that he's hot. Okay. And so, what well, that quarterback gets in trouble, he's going to throw that ball to that back right away. So, we kind of set him up. We covered up the guard, and Jack Squire ran right between the back and the quarterback for a touchdown.
0: Yeah. That, I mean, and that, that, was
1: that was the, that was the, that was the, the uh, breaking part in that game for
0: us. Oh, that's amazing. So, that's just, that's just you being a student of the game. You just, you just yeah. saw that coming, and we're able to alert your team. Right, that was the uh, that was the play that basically ended that game before halftime.
1: Yeah, any chance of them coming back? That yeah. just put a dagger in their heart going in at halftime.
0: In fact, I think that was the cover yeah. of Sports Illustrated that week—a picture of Squire. Yeah,
1: yep, yeah. 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 And Jack Squire is a guy. If you if you made a bet that Jack Squire would say two things uh, in the course of a week, you'd lose your money. <laughs> he just didn't—he didn't do a lot of talking. Right. He was a real, real quiet guy. He's from Cleveland. I, I know him here from. He's back here in Cleveland now.
0: Like Cuyahoga Falls, right? Something like that. Cuyahoga
1: Falls, right? And he still don't say very much. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, that's funny. What? Um, so, so I'm I'm fascinated, um, and I and I recognize that you know you probably don't have a ton of time, but uh, if if I could just throw a couple things at you, so you played with Jack Mildren. You played with Brian Sipe. You played with Jim Plunkett. You, you talked about Mildred's toughness and his ability right. to uh, right. kind of make the right decision every time. Tell me a couple of things about Sipe and Plunkett.
1: Well, uh, let me, let me tell you this. i say this, that, uh, the Raiders, uh, uh, we had a great team, but, but, uh, Al Davis was, uh, Ah, my mom said say he was. Uh, well, what's the word? Uh, uh, he got nervous about uh, if things happened. He was superstitious. That's that's the word. Sure. He's very superstitious. If we did something, or if we lost lost a game, or if we won, we went on a run, and and it, and this was this became kind of infectious to the rest of the team. When I came to to the Raiders, of course. Was well, in my, my first year uh I, you know i was going into my 10th year i had a lot of yards but not one yard was for the raiders so i'm trying to make the raiders team just like the rookies that were coming out that year sure. so i had a car so rather than drive my car or have my car sent out i wanted to make sure that the roster the you know had decided on the 53 man roster then i would have my Car come out. Well, it went a little longer than that, and then we went on a winning streak. And I used to go to the game. We sp- we would stay at a hotel the night before, and then we would go to the st- stadium. And I used to go to uh, the game with Plunkett and uh, Matt Miller. Okay. So this one particular week, my car comes out. I- I'm parking the garage. I walk down to get in my car. I- I crank my car up. I go to pull out, and the car pulls up and blocks me. I look up is Matt Millen and Jim Plunkett. I said, "What's going on?" He said, "Man, what you what you doing?" I said, "I'm gonna go to the game." He said, "Man, you do you understand? We on a roll. We ain't changing nothing. You can't drive your car until we lose." <laughs> so I park my car and went to the stadium, had to go back and pick it up. Now I'm sitting there, want to drive my car to the game, hoping we lose so I can. <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's the way the Raiders operated, man. You That's just- the way
1: the Raiders operated, yep.
0: Superstitions. Uh, yeah.
1: But i tell you a true story about Plunkett. Mark Wilson, they bought in to replace Jim Plunkett. Sure, BYU. And Mark Wilson made it to about a little over halfway of the season. He gets hurt and Plunkett comes back. Now we're playing Kansas City Chiefs in Kansas City. And we're in the locker room and Plunkett, in our conversation and getting prepared, we joke and kid and talk about everything. And so Plunkett stood up and said, You know what? I can't remember the last time this late in the season, so nothing hurt on me. So okay. He said, no, I'm serious, man. He said, man, I feel so good today. I just might light them up on the first play of the game. I said, all right, that'll be cool too, Jim. (laughs) So we go through our procedure, go out for pregame, come back, do our little rah, 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 go out. We win the toss, first play, boom, bum. We thought he was just talking. (laughs) And it ended up beating Kansas City. But it's little stuff like that that, uh, (laughs) in conversations that you get to know, know people. And sometimes you got to pay attention because they ain't just talking. They're they serious.
0: Right. Yeah. I mean, these are professional athletes, right? They've got yeah. that. Yeah. What's, what was your relationship with Tom Flores, your coach?
1: Oh, I, I got along with Co- Coach Flores. Really good. In fact, uh, remember I told you that uh, I, t- I kid him all the time. Uh, in the Washington Redskins game, I ran back a punt 98 yards. Yep. Well, you, when you're returning punts, my job was don't turn the ball over, make great decisions, make sure the ball is at least on the 20-yard line. If you can't get to the 20-yard line, fat, uh, uh, well, fat catch it if you have to inside or let it go through the end zone. Sure. But, but just don't make no mistakes. So the rule is you stand on the 20. If the ball goes over your head, you let the ball go. Uh, well, now he's stand on a 10, I'm sorry, and you let the ball go over your head, and it's most likely going to go into the end zone. Right. Well, we, they get ready to punt the ball. They're about at the 50-yard line, and this guy kicks his best punt ever. I mean, this ball just takes off. It takes off like somebody threw it rather than kicked it. Right. And I kind of got disorient, disoriented on my first step because the ball came off his foot so fast. So I run, not to let the ball get behind me, and I kind of forget I'm already standing on the ten. So now I turn, and I'm waiting for this ball to come down, and I can hear the whole sideline. No, 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 they hollering. No, no, no. Well, I did not home then. Now. I, I, I'm catching this ball. And I catch it, and it, kind of what happened, Let me back up a little bit. During the course of that game, what I would do as a punt returner, I listened to the coverage guys. They talk, believe it or not, they talk and you can, about disappointments or whatever. So what I would do is I would throw my fair catch so late that I would make them run all the way to me. Right. And when I catch the ball, I heard a couple guys saying, all right, he ain't going to catch the ball. He's just making us run. He's just making us run. So when I did that, and I went back to the the catch this punt, I'm standing on the two yard line. They all know that I'm just making them run the whole the length of the ball. When I catch, this, catch the ball, they realize I catch the ball, but it was the perfect thing I could have done because the coverage slowed down. Right. and when the coverage slowed down, the wall formed to the to the right, and I go all the way down the side. It was even punt return I ever run. That was, Probably my easiest part return. But I said all that to say this. One of the guys on the sideline that was saying no, no, no was Coach Flores. <laughs> and Coach Flores had ran from the middle of the field all the way down where I was, hollering, no, 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 no. When I catch this ball and I get into this wall, it's Coach Flores. He on the sideline running with me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go, go.
0: <laughs> Just like we drew <laughs>
1: So when I see Cody Flores, I always tease him about that. (laughs) (laughs)
0: That's awesome. I love it. That's cool. But but, uh, tell me about uh, playing with Paul Warfield. Obviously, he had been a a star with the Browns, then the Dolphins, and then came back to Cleveland uh, while you were playing there. What was he like?
1: He He was a true professional, and he was a perfectionist. Okay. Nobody ran uh, patterns as well as as Paul Warfield. He knew exactly what he was going to do to you. He knew where all the soft spots was. He knew how he could beat you inside or outside. Uh, he was a great player. Yeah. Even at the end of his career. Now, I met Paul at the end of his career, and I was impressed.
0: Yeah, exactly. He had been on that last Browns championship team in the 60s. Right. Team, and then obviously mm-hmm. – the Shula Dolphins, um, and then and then came back to the Cleveland area for the last part of his career. Um, that's uh, that's great. Um, and and so Greg, so tell me, so so tell me what you you know what you're up to now. I, I know that you had a, a residential construction company, Pruten Associates. Are you still? Yeah,
1: my uh uh, I, I retired from that. I'm, I tell people if you ask me what do I do, I play golf. I hunt and I fish. And if you ask my friends, they'll say, I play golf, I fish and I sleep in the woods. (laughs) (laughs)
0: There's nothing wrong with that.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So I, you know, I, my, my son took over my construction business. Okay. And we could. I'm. I'm more of a consultant, and I'm a fetching guy. I pick up materials when I have the time, but it's got to be around me playing golf. I, I would play golf every day if I could. But you know, I done not got old. I can't believe I'm 70 years old, August the 18th. I can't believe it. That's amazing. But I'm blessed. I'm still able to do the things I used to do. Probably not as good, but uh, I, 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 I'm blessed to be as healthy as I am.
0: Yeah, well, you said you sound great, and uh, I, I love you know sitting back here and listening to the stories. Uh, I, that's that's exactly why I wanted to you know kind of create this podcast was just so right. to hear stories just like this. I mean, you know, from the guys who they love watching. Um,
1: well, let, let, let me and in, in ending, let me tell you one last story because we we talked about uh, me thinking I was going to the the Patriots the, uh, with Chuck Fairbanks being uh the head coach and then and since that time coach has passed away but prior to him passing away we we actually met made up and talked about our differences at jack mildred's funeral. uh way back it's been quite a while now but when i went to cleveland like i said you had to go through twa and so on my way back uh In St. Louis, I get on a plane, it's like almost midnight, last flight leaving out. And it's only maybe eight or nine people on the plane. And I get in and I go to coach and I sit down and the uh, stewardess comes and tells me the gentleman up in uh, uh, first class would like to buy you a drink. And I said, oh yeah. She said, yeah. So I said, okay. So she brought me the drink. When she brought me the drink, I looked up to tell the person that bought me the drink, thanks. And when I did, it was Coach Fairbanks. Huh. And and I told her, Nope, I don't want the drink. I gave it back to her. So I had this thing with Coach Fairbanks. He was my motivation. And we played the uh in New England Patriots three times. And three times he he never beat me as a pro. <laughs> and two of the times. Uh, I was a key factor in beating him, and uh, one particular year, this is just you talking about. Yeah, you can you couldn't make this up. Uh, we played New England. We didn't have a real uh, a very good season, but we went to New England late in the year, uh, late enough that if they beat us, which they were highly, uh, we were big underdogs. They want to go. They were going to clinch their division, home field advantage and everybody thought they were going to beat us. So, uh, when we get ready to play the new England Patriots, I'm a punt return. I'm leading the league and punt return. So, uh, Al Tabor is a special teams coach. He tells me during practice. He said, Greg, they're not going to punt the ball to you. You know, uh, he knows you and he knows not better than putting the ball to you. So I'm gonna go home and look at and see if there's some kind of way we can get you the ball. Uh, so we go to New England, and we win the kickoff. We win the toss, so we're gonna we elect to receive the ball. So we yeah. had already studied and and filmed that they had a soccer kicker. He really was a was a he wasn't a, an American. He was a a guy from Europe who that kicked the ball like soccer kicker, but he was a great kicker. So we decided to go. Our, our game plan was we would stand single file on kickover you got one guy on what on one side and one guy on the other side. But we decided to stand single file and then pay attention to the kick. If he put it on a hash on a certain hash mark, we knew what side he was gonna kick the ball to. Now <laughs> I normally stood on the right side and so he put the ball down to kick the ball to the left side. Now I'm standing single file. So when he put, puts his hand up and they blow the whistle, I run to the other side that's opposite of where I normally stand. Sure. Now, what happens is unusual. But if you understand that he from, from Europe, he didn't kick the ball. He stopped. <laughs> he stopped. And they put whistle. And he goes, he calls timeout. <laughs> and he goes He goes to the sideline. He's walking to the sideline. And Coach Fairbanks is meeting him. And you can see he's upset about it. his hands, body language, and all of this. Is, uh, so he comes back out, and he line drives the ball to me, and I go 88 yards for a touchdown. They never recovered from that. Now, losing that game, they went from clinching the playoffs, home field advantage, to not getting in the playoffs at all. Everything that had to happen in order for them to uh, not to make it happened.
0: Perfect payback.
1: Perfect payback. Then we played them. We played New England on Monday night football. I was MVP of the game. And I tell this story. You remember ABC Superstar? Yeah, of course. Okay, so I'm, I'm watching TV and I see ABC Superstars. And I see guys that I play against and I know participating in this. And so I call my agent and ask him, what, what, what's up with this? This sports thing comes on ABC and all these football players. And Can you find out how I can get on that? I said, I can beat them guys and some of that stuff. So he called me back and he tells me that I had to speak to a lady. Her name was Susie Friendly. And I, I remember her name because she was anything but friendly. <laughs> <laughs> and so she told me, write a letter stating that I wanted to participate in Superstar. She would take it before the committee and they would make a decision and get back to me. So my plan was playing New England on Monday night football. If I could have a great game, mail that letter after the game, I had a great chance of getting into the superstar. <laughs> and so that's what happened. I, I I mean, my motivation was trying to get in the superstar and I get to beat the coach Fairbanks again. <laughs> and so after the game, all these reporters are in the locker room looking for me. You know where I was? Downtown at the main post office, mailing my letter. <laughs>
0: That's amazing. That's fantastic. And I remember, so, you won, right? Didn't you do really well on the superstars? And
1: I won. So so anyway, so I report to the superstars, right? Earl Campbell, uh Joe but There's a whole bunch of guys there, right? So we, we 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 we're practicing these events. You get it's thirteen events you can choose from, but ten you have to participate in. So we go early and you work out all these events, you know, because it's first, second, and third gives you so many points, and whoever ends up with the most points at the end wins the superstar. Right. So I'm 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 there. And I'm working out, and uh, Earl Campbell is there, and so in conversation, we're going I said, now, Earl, I'll tell you how to." I said, uh, when did you know you was coming to the superstar? he told me. I said, then I made the mistake. I said, Well, when when did you write your letter? He said, A letter? I said, yeah, a letter. And he mumbled something. So when all the guys got together, they started making sure, hey man, y'all ain't gonna believe this, but they didn't invite Pruitt. Pruitt asked to be invited. <laughs> so <laughs> So they, they, they messed with me the whole week. So at the end, I went a superstar. And uh, I'm trying to think. Uh, he's on Monday Night Football. Former player. What's his name? That he he was over the superstar,
0: Frank Gifford.
1: Frank Gifford. Frank Gifford asked me. He said, "Greg, if you had to put your finger on one thing as the reason you won the Superstar, what would it be?" And I looked at all them guys, and I said, "Probably writing that letter." <laughs>
0: <laughs> but like, but that's like <laughs> such a perfect like way to like summarize your career, right? Like,
1: yeah, yes, have yes. to do
0: the extra thing, but once given the chance, you win it.
1: Right. Well, like, like I I tell kids all the time, you don't know how good you are till you go find out. Right. You know, I won the weightlifting in the superstar. The reason I even got into weightlifting was a strategy. I looked at the guys that were in, and I wasn't trying to win or get second, but I, maybe I could get a point. Maybe that third guy I can outlift. And right. so I ended up winning the weightlifting. I didn't know that. <laughs> I tell people I, ran, I won a 100-yard dash. In my yeah. high school, we were great in, as, a, as a high school track team and so great that I couldn't even get a position as a sprinter. I, I ran 120 high hurdles in high school. <laughs> I never t- The first time I ever got time in a 100-yard dash, Was in the 1979 Superstar. I ran 9 7. That's the first time I know I could run 9 7. Man,
0: that's amazing. Guy plays at Oklahoma in the NFL, wins a Super Bowl,
1: (laughs) but isn't isn't
0: running the 100 for his high school track team, and then wins it. (laughs) That's fantastic. Awesome. Greg Pruitt, thank you so much for coming on Chasing Hardware. (laughs) Thank Thank you. you. It's been my pleasure to have you on. And thank you for listening to Chasing Hardware with today's guest, Brown's and Raiders legend Greg Pruitt. I've been your host, Rich Lumello. The Michael Stanley band brought us in, and the suburbs with Life is Like are going to take us out. Look forward to speaking next time.
1: Tonight It feels like. Life. Life is life. Life is life. I just like what